Hello, and welcome to Cloud Insiders, a podcast that brings cloud down to earth. Hello, and welcome to Cloud Insiders. Today, we're talking about public key infrastructure, or PKI for short. We'll be finding out what they are, what they do, and tips on how to use them more efficiently. I'm your host, Joe Robinson, and today I'm joined by Matthew Tapper, Senior Consultant at Extrovert. Hello there, Mr. Tapper. Hello there. So, uh, Matt, what are public key infrastructures and what do they do for us? So, it's interesting, as you open this this, this podcast conversation, you, you used one of those things that uh, when whenever I'm talking about this, I like to have a little klaxon that goes off in my head every time somebody uses what they call an initialism or an acronym, uh, and you use the PKI. Now, this technology, the, the public key infrastructure, is uh, littered with these initialisms and acronyms, uh, and they, they, they are some of them are just absurd but this is one of those things where you just this is one of those technologies where we come across loads of them so what we're going to do if i do come across if i do talk about them and i, I mention them I'll, I'll try and expand on them where possible thank you very um, much but pki or public key infrastructure is it's the layer of asymmetric cryptography that goes across the when computers exchange data so effectively what you're doing is you're exchange you're signing something with a public key that can be decrypted with a private key now the actual the actual me- mechanics underneath this are are pretty impressive it's all, it's all based on factorization of prime numbers so it, it gets pretty pretty mathematical and pretty deep very very quickly so we're just going to sort of t- stay on the top of it but but what it is for me is it's about assurance now it's a layer of security. It's fairly straightforward to achieve the security of, of communication, the encryption between two machines. That being that certainly if you're a, a an organic user of that service, you can go to a, an HTTPS website, effectively a, a GUI, and your your browser will throw an error if you're if you don't trust that encryption source. So you know you've seen it in Chrome, you've seen it in Firefox or IE. It'll throw a browser, and you can basically click the exception to carry on. Say no, I'm you know, the user is key, or the user has as as Don uh, God privileges. I'm going to accept the security mitigations and, and proceed to the site. Well, that's all well and good. Machines don't do this. You can't do this. And and largely, in a in a user environment, I would urge you that that's really poor practice. And we'll we'll come to that later in a second hmm. but what pki is for me is assurance it's when you go to a resource there is a third party or a certificate authority so ca is, is what we'll call that as well that's got a certificate authority that says this the resource that you're accessing is definitely or or is a very very high probability that there's a third party that signed up and said this is the right resource so when you type in https into google.com or likewise that certificate that's being issued is is definitely from that source so yeah. you know you're not you're not being spoofed wonderful you've kind of identified a little bit of a um, computer versus organic issue there but what problems have you seen clients facing when it comes to public key infrastructure the problem with is is that there's there's several of it there's there's the professionalism of it and this 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 is something that i see a lot when i'm moving around instances it's all very well and you know anybody that uses the vmware web client most 
administrators will know what a self-signed certificate is. So you go to resources, it's got a certificate, it's self-signed, you get the, it throws the exception, you can choose to install the certificate so you're accepting its authority, you're accepting the validation of it, or, or you, you just proceed with the security risks. So it has a certificate. Yeah. That to me isn't necessarily professional. It's okay with inside certain environments, within administration environments where people know that they're accepting, because those people that accept those mitigations generally are skeptical about what they see. So if you're on the internet and something throws an HTTPS error, the first thing I do is close the browser down, just don't, never go back to it again. Yeah, I'm ultra skeptical about it. Now I think it would be ideal in most organizations if that mindset was passed on to the user community, because from a security point of view, the the user is the weakest link in the chain, certainly if they have internet access in the environment. So they can have spear phishing tactics from various you know, nefarious sources on the internet that are trying to get certain private data and so on out of organizations. So the first thing is, it's all about that. If your organization publishes resources to users where they have to accept these security exceptions, that becomes the standard practice, that becomes the norm. So when a user is presented with something that might be nefarious, it might not be, but the fact is it might be, standard practice is just to click proceed. Oh, I know how to acknowledge these security exceptions, I'll just click proceed. You know, that, that makes you vulnerable. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the professionalism. Well, the professionalism is, from an admin point of view, you know, you should be affording the CA, the certificate authority, and the validation of those certificates that that authority produces to your users. And the users is it's the poor practice in the user community that they shouldn't be accepting, or actually shouldn't be able to accept those uh, security uh, mitigations. So you can put policies in place onto these browsers to say, well, actually, no, as a user, you, you can't accept these these security limitations. If, if you come across a site that isn't trusted, you're not going there. Yeah, so how do, how do you enforce this? I mean, how long before browsers or other applications have mandatory enforcement of trusted certificates? Well, that's right. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be long until, the, I mean, it's it actually already happened. There are certain times when non-organic enforcement, this is where a user cannot accept an override, actually already exists. And a few examples of that would be the the Citrix storefront, for instance. I, I, do, I do a fair amount of work with Citrix as, as, as well as VMware. So the, the Citrix storefront, if you're accessing the Citrix storefront with a Linux receiver or the Linux client, there is no security exception for that. You must have HTTPS or the, or the, the receiver simply will not connect. On the Windows receiver, you can actually hack that. And there's a little registry workaround for that to make that accept a non-trusted certificate. So it will it will still it still will still present you with the resource. But if you're using uh, the Linux clients, the Linux receivers, there's no way around it. You must have the certificate. The other ones are PowerShell. So you might want to sign PowerShell scripts or run PowerShell scripts in your environment. Well, if you you there's two if you can't if you don't sign them. By default, you can't run them. I mean, what you can do is you could drop the skirts of PowerShell and say, you know, set the uh, execution policy to unrestricted. It's not a good idea. Again, this is, comes back to this best, best practice. What you're doing is you're lowering the bar of security to just let poor practice flood across. Yeah. And, you know, you've got the things I mentioned, the, the VMware web client. It, it produced a self-signed certificate. Well, it, you know, 
wouldn't it be nice if if it didn't if it just had a proper trusted certificate and sometimes you need internal certificates one of the other examples of vmware is the if you're using vrops uh, vrealize operations manager to talk to vrealize login site if vrealize login site and vrealize operations manager don't trust each other on a certificate basis because they're not actually linked to a directory and remember computers that don't aren't part of the same directory use certificates to trust each other yeah so that's certainly linux does this a lot just as a, a side note if you're using uh, sql server 2017 on linux uh, with something like pacemaker for a cluster these machines won't be joined by an active directory they have no way of trusting each other so the only way these machines will trust each other is certificates but that's an askew so that's the same way that vrealize operations manager and vrealize login site if you're in the operations manager and you go to the login site to look at the logs and the machine doesn't trust it you'll just get a certificate error and there is no organic workaround for this you can't say okay, okay i trust that no because it's the machines that trust each other and that's where you need these internal uh pkis so the public key infrastructure even though it's internal it's still public key. it's not private key infrastructure it's a it's a it's a common misconception that some people call it a private key infrastructure it's not private it's public key infrastructure it just happens to be within your private organization because there's a publicly shared key and once you've got this public key infrastructure in your organization, it's very easy to cut certificates for these devices, apply them to the devices, and then they'll trust each other. Brilliant. So you've said about professionalism, poor practice and enforcement. So how should people be going around solving these issues? Are you seeing the same pitfalls? Is everyone falling into them? Yeah. I mean, what, what I see mostly is when we come across very large organized structures, they have security environments where they have their own CAs and we're able to request certificates for various purposes. And this isn't always this doesn't always work because the person making the request doesn't necessarily understand exactly what they want. And sometimes they get, you know, they they ask for X and they get Y and they think, well, that doesn't work. And it, but there's a way to ma massage that and work with it. Um, and then in in some organisations, what we what you do see is the fact that they don't have a PKI. So they have all these these certificate exceptions that they have to request and in other cases they go to the internet to buy it's difficult they buy certificates from public certificate authorities now this is not this is still pki it's still public key author uh, public key infrastructure mm. but what they're doing is they're going to the likes of verisign or thwart or semantic and saying i'd like a certificate for this domain and bear in mind that that domain you're asking for, that certificate, or that certificate you're asking for, must be a a public, resolvable namespace. So that's a top-level domain namespace. You can't ask, and you haven't been able to for some time now. What you can't do is you can't ask these public certificate providers for private IP addresses and private namespaces. It must be a public, re, publicly resolvable name. Now, if your internal infrastructure that we're talking about can't see can't resolve these these ip addresses let alone communicate with the internet to be able to see that it's uh, the certificate is valid it will fail and you know that every everybody that's ever used a microsoft management console knows the pain of uh, certificate validation so this this is the <laughs> and i'm going to use one of those initialisms here the crl 
the certificate revocation list so the certificate revocation checking mm. so when you fire up the Microsoft management console of various products the first thing it does it takes about 30 to 40 seconds to open and you, you, you as an administrator you think well I, I don't know what this is and it, it's just a blankness and then everything works what it's doing it's going to the internet to see if your .NET framework has a valid certificate revocation list because it's built into the Microsoft products yeah. So what most people do is go straight away and just, just disable it. Well, <laughs> if you if you issued a, a, your internal certificate, you wouldn't necessarily have to do that. But that's that's one thing about poor practice. We see a lot of this uh, using of top level domains uh, where where they can, and then internally where they can't, they they just put these these workarounds in. The 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 other thing I could just say about these top level domains is they're not cheap. Some of these certificates that people issue. The cost of managing these over the lifetime of managing, if you have many of these these um, publicly issued certificates, can be exorbitant. I've recently working with an organisation where the you had to buy a certain amount of credits to have a certificate issued, and it was it was multiplied by every time you wanted to make an option. So you had to say, I you needed one credit for the machine you wanted to issue it to. You needed times the number of years that you want the certificate for times the number of sands now that klaxon just went off in my head i just said sand so the subject alternate name this is oh. the other names that the certificate can have this is what i mean about the initialisms all these that's an acronym isn't it sand so yeah. the acronyms in in these certificates so the subject alternate name i'll just i'll digress very quickly is the other names that the certificate has so if you had a a, a uh a resource that you're accessing saying my web server dot my domain dot local that's that's the fqdn you could have my web server just in the sand so if somebody types in https my web server hits hits enter on their browser it would still resolve that as a certificate because that's a valid name you can even put the ip address in there that that's the, that's what i mean by the sand the subject alternate name so every all the all the um all certificates have a, a cn now again, that klaxon just went off. A common name, which by the way isn't trusted by Chrome since version 33, so you must have a SAN in your certificate. Yep. So uh, again, it, it gets very complicated. It's a moving feast. So the so Google deprecated the use of common names in fairly recent history, a couple of years ago, I think it was. I mean, maybe it was last year. I'm not sure. But it was fairly recently that they deprecate the use of CN. So you must have SANs in your name. So this this makes it tr tricky that you've got to inject all that. So just to go back to this. Can I can I klaxon you on FQDN? Oh, sorry, you can of course. Yeah, <laughs> so fully qualified domain name. So that will be obviously well done. The, um, <laughs> the 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 fully qualified domain name. So if you imagine you have your short name or your host name, which would be my web server, and the FQDN would be the the suffix part of that. So my web server dot my domain dot local or whatever it would be so so yeah the fqdn yeah. of microsoft is microsoft.com or something like that if you, you went to the 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 https site beautiful so, yeah thank you <laughs> but yeah this is what i mean it's, it's full of these things and I, i've got a table of these things because sometimes even i forget sometimes i'm coming across the like, documents like yeah i can't remember what that one is so i every time i i come across one i make a table i, I throw it at the top of a document i don't know it, it's uh, it helps me as well yeah. um it seems to be its so own the, little micro micro environment of um, acronyms as well because 
sand to me is just storage area network yeah exactly right <laughs> and they're they're they're, they're, they're almost changeable yeah you can go to acronym you know the acronym finder on, on the on the website and put it in the it and then mo most acronyms have multiple purposes so yeah. you've got to find some sort of context as what you're addressing it's a <laughs> um so back to this, the cost of these certificates if yeah. you have if you say i'm going to issue this one credit let's say a credit costs a hundred dollars one credit costs a hundred dollars that's the server then i want it for five years which is re which is a reasonable length of time but you want a certificate because you don't want to be replacing these certificates very frequently yeah it depends on the security pro um the, the security profile you want to apply to it so five years is the certificate. so that's going to cost you five hundred dollars now one times five five hundred dollars mm -hmm. then you say and then i need maybe five sands oh so one times five times five that's because that's just cost a lot of money. Five and a half, that's just cost two and a half thousand dollars for one certificate. Yeah. You know, and then, then you might say, oh, well, I've got a whole load of load balances that I need to apply. Oh, I've got six of these. It very runs the cost runs away. And then every five years, you have to cut another one. Yeah. I mean, it might be the fact that in, in, there's a management overhead as well of there's, there's a sweet spot you've got to find about the length of a certificate, how long. Because, see, my envisagement is that internal public infrastructure would be as ubiquitous as Active Directory and Microsoft Active Directory in environments in the fact that they, 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 they actually do go hand in hand. They fit very well hand in glove. They fit very easily together because Microsoft have got quite a good um, product for this. The Active Directory certificate services uh, feature and server roles is, is, a, is a very good starting point. But to me, the two should go together because they're layers of security. One is a a checkpoint security in as much it's it asks you for a username and password and the other one's all about assurance as to are you are you, are you contacting like for instance the the LDAP LDAP S security that you might want to have against your active directory controllers and things like that yeah. so you've got to find a you've got to find a balance between the the issuing of the security so unlike active directory any PKI infrastructure that you install has an inbuilt time bomb it will expire uh, now there's, there's there's various levels of expiry. There's the certificate will expire. Well, that's okay. I can recut another certificate. But eventually, the the actually whole infrastructure will expire. So right. what you have to do is you have to you you have to you have to plan quite far into the future. Okay. So uh, it's far easier and faster to cut or renew certificates if the PK is owned. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it, it takes back to this, what I was saying about the cost of public certificates. If certificates cost X, Y, and Z, and you're you, you're spinning up even a test environment, you've got you've got the 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 the, the cost of obtaining those certificates. Whereas if your PKI is is owned and utilised in house, it's it's far easier just to create as many certificates as you require and as expediently as you require. Uh, with, with any sort of time frame you want you know it's not impossible to say you know I, I don't know how long this is going to last um, I'll create X year certificates in fact in the environment that I've just stood up for a, a, a customer of ours we created um, 10 and 11 year certificates because mm -hmm. we knew that the social solution we deploy were deploying um, had a, uh, a a reusable life of 10 years and there was going to be some light touch administration on it so it, the the de deploying certificates where it was necessary to deploy it wasn't the fact that we wanted to it was it, we absolutely had to because we had this this non-organic transmission of data between devices so we had to do it 
So we had to, we, what we were doing was we created certificate templates in our own public key infrastructure, and we, uh, but the templates will lasted for 10 years. So we know that, that, that the life of this platform, those certificates will be valid and nobody has to go in and renew them. That's not to say that all of them are like that. There's some that have got two or some two and three year certificates that what we do is we, we flag those in a calendar and uh, we make sure we get onto those at least sort of eight to six weeks before they need to be, they expire. Brilliant. So have you got like two or three pieces of advice to help people solve the problem more efficiently? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the first one is it, it's, it's all about what we just well, what I spoke about, about the length of a certificate. So find some pragmatism between um, security and usability. Yeah. So if so, what what you do is you plan from the leaf object up. So the leaf object, that being the certificate that gets issued to the the endpoint or the user. So mm -hmm. how long do you want that to renew last for until you manually have to renew it or until it auto re-enrolls? And that that's a, another subject for another time. But it, it's possible to have devices and, and users auto re-enroll certificates. Um, so if 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 you said that was 10 years or five years what you generally do is you make the upstream certificate authority the rule of thumb is double that so if you've got a certificate that you know lasts for six years or five years i always add a bit of fat on there anyway so if you if it's five years make it six years double the upstream certificate authority life so that means the next the certificate authority the part of the infrastructure that issues the certificate mm -hmm. double that so that that will have a life of 12 years now that might be what we call an intermediate certificate authority so that that, that might have a parent so that's that that certificate authority's parent would have a shelf life of 24 years so so 6 12 24 and then what we might have is that might be a child of another parent authority so that parent authority then gets a certificate authority of 48 years to be honest, that's not practical. That's just yeah. they're in the realms of absurdity. Forty-eight years—it really is crazy. So that what I generally do is I truncate those doubling of those those uh, uh, those years to you know, maybe a third. So you go six, twelve, eighteen, twenty-four—that yeah. sort of thing. Because that's reasonable. And uh, and you know, there's there's those people out there. You come across environments and think, well, I'll, I'll probably not have this environment for six, ten years, ten years probably max. Well, you say that, and we come across a lot of environments where we come across Windows Server 2003, or in some cases we come across NT4, and you think, well, to think that you might actually get rid of this solution in 10 years, that might be optimistic, you know, <laughs> if you're still running Server 2008, chances are that's coming up to 10 years old, right, and maybe not R2, but... Uh, uh, so, so I generally plan for infrastructures to exist for about 10 to 12 years, and then I, I think that it, it, once they've got to that length, if if something goes wrong with the certificates and nobody's managed it in that time, then poor planning. So. Yeah. The other thing is, I would say, and this comes down to the, what I was talking about, the child and the leaf object, yeah. and this is about tiering of certificate authorities. It's it can be very easy and very straightforward, and it's good. It's, if you're just if you're just trying it out, it's in, in a testing environment. There's no there's no reason not to do this, but you can simply pull up a a, a Windows Server, install uh, the Active Directory certificate services role, and and have a single root 
certificate authority one route that issues certificates in reality that's terrible terrible practice don't do it uh, have some tiers so have a a root certificate authority uh, idea best practice for security is to have that offline so it's not connected to anything then have an intermediate certificate authority that issues certificates or maybe it doesn't and then you can have so that, that would be a two tier so you have your root certificate and your intermediate um, my preference is to have what I call the wedding cake analogy so mm -hmm. you know uh, if you're at a wedding and you see the cake well if it's a single tier cake it's a pretty poor cake isn't it two tiers are good three tiers are always best so that that's the way I look at you want your offline route you want your policy CA this is the, the the intermediate policy CA that generates other certificate authorities such as uh, so the policy CA would issue a certificate to a a VMware certificate authority, so a VMCA in the platform service controller, such that that could then issue leaf certificates to all of the objects within vCensor, and then you'd have other issuing CAs for various objects throughout the enterprise. Uh, so my third piece of advice would be <laughs> documentation, documentation, documentation. It's the CA. It's it's not an easily researched subject. It's not as prescriptive as Active Directory roles, uh, X500 roles, and other security roles like antivirus. There's not a single vendor, or, the, or there isn't a vendor that's going to give you a very narrow, constrained solution. The solution is very bespoke to very each client, like I was saying about the tiers, right? You can do it, you can sort of bake it any way you want. A bit like um, Domain Forest in Active Directory, right? If you don't document what you're doing, you're gonna get lost very quickly. And that's twice to say. So, always, always document that. Yeah. And the fourth piece of advice is, if you are using a Microsoft um, PKI, so public key infrastructure, the Active Directory certificate services, don't accept the default templates. I mean, use them if you want; they're okay for auto enrollment things like that. But do create custom templates. I've done this quite a lot. I've done this, and this is what I was saying about creating 10-year certificates. So where you need a certificate for 10 years, the default templates aren't going to work. They're all for two years. So you, what, and the last thing you want to do is every sort of 20 months, because you want to be doing it before or yeah. 20, 22, 22 and a half months, sort of six weeks before the certificate expires. You don't want to be going to there, creating a new certificate, going through the change process of issuing new certificates. Unless you absolutely have to, unless that's a security requirement in your organization, then you've got to wear that hat. But if you don't have to do it, create templates that last for longer create five six ten even longer certificate templates for your servers such that you know that 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 certificate will last for the duration of that piece of infrastructure that's what i would say brilliant well i think that pretty much covers off everything we um had have you got any final thoughts you'd like to give us yeah i mean why not get extra to come and do it for you <laughs> yeah, we, we we do this a lot. It's it, it, it's certainly something that we're seeing uh, an uptake in where we're going into organisations deploying uh, the PKI. We, um, what we can do as well, it's it's all about is is, is coming on site, designing the solution for you with you, uh, with your policy, with your administration scope, um, with the the level of knowledge um, that your the, the people that are in that organisation have. Uh, do it going through the necessary upskilling process with them or all the knowledge transfer uh, Then we can either sit with you and build the environment out. That's what we prefer um, It's such that, that then that gets that that knowledge transfer more ingrained in, in, in with, with the people on the ground and then moving forwards 
what Expert hope to do is be able to to manage those certificates for you as a layer. So where where we cut certificates, we'll take those we'll take those calendar reminders away and we'll put them in there and we'll we'll you know we'll be contacting you. So the thing the thing with certificates is you generally find is is if they have a a protracted life, if a certificate has a life of six, eight, nine years. You you could put a calendar appointment into the collaborative software of all the people that were were part of that project. Say, okay, we've got to renew this certificate uh, in in eight years and you know ten months. Well, in eight years and ten months, that calendar appointment may go nowhere. It may just be legacy because because none of the people that were part of that project work there anymore. Yeah. So that's that's what that's what we're looking at doing is providing us a a wrapper for that layer, such that we'll be proactive about this. We'll let you know when you've got certificates that expire, even if they're internal ones. So thank you very much, Mr. Tupper. Um, thank you very much for your time, thank and you. we shall speak to you soon. Yeah, great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cloud Insiders. To find out more and to listen to additional episodes, go to cloudinsiders.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders and subscribe on iTunes. Catch you next time.